Hey, it's great to see everybody. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament as we begin a brand new series today, as uh, Brandon already shared. And, uh, you know, yesterday we had trivia night. How many of you came to trivia night last night? Yeah, it was a lot of fun, uh, good times. And well, one of the questions last night was, how many sentences was Jonah's sermon to Nineveh? Remember that question? And what was the answer? How many sentences was it? One. To which the MC of the party said, did you hear that, Pastor Daniel? <laughs> One sentence sermon, which goes like this. Yet not for 40 days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding, right? So uh, anyway, so this is going to be a few more than one sentence, right, as we begin our new series on the book of Daniel. And, you know, as the uh, video uh, bumper kind of showed, we're, we're, in a, we're in a post-Christian culture. It doesn't take a, a genius to figure out that, you know, the culture in which we live is not just saturated with the gospel, right? We are post-Christian. If you are a, if you're a born-again follower of Jesus that believes in the inerrant word of God, you are not the normal. And that hasn't always been the case. You know, I remember when I was growing up back in the late 70s and 80s, even a lot of people that didn't follow Jesus still had a regard for the scripture, still had a belief that this, this is God's word. It's not the case today. So times have changed. You know, we're, we've gone from being um, kind of like Israel saw themselves in the Old Testament, we kind of saw ourselves as a Christian nation. Now we are post-Christian. We're more like Christians in exile, and that's only going to increase. So as we begin this book of Daniel, it's just very appropriate for us. I think the, the messages of Daniel that we'll see from chapters 1 through 12 has a lot of very practical life application to us. To how do we, as born-again followers of Jesus, how do we live our life in a way that honors Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture towards Jesus and toward his church? So that's what we're going to be navigating over the next 12 weeks. We'll spend a, 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 a chapter a week in the book of Daniel. So I encourage you to be reading Daniel on your own. Talk about it as family. I know our, our, our men's group on Wednesday night is going to also be looking at Daniel. Um, on the, there's, and Daniel's really interesting. There's a lot of practical things for Daniel's generation, a lot of things, a lot of visions about what's, what's going to happen in Daniel's generation, the next few generations. There's some other things that uh, are end times oriented. And so we'll be unpacking some of that as we go. It's going to be a really fascinating series as we go through the book of Daniel. So we're going to start today. Um, we're not going to, we're going to cover chapter one. But we're not going to read all of chapter one. Um, I just want to kind of narrate the history because as we begin this new book, it's important for us to understand what was going on in the world when Daniel writes this. It's always a big deal with scripture. Whenever we're studying the Bible, our goal should not be this. Let me read this. And the first question I ask is, what does this mean for me? That's not the, that's not the question you ask first. You first read the Bible and say, what did this mean then? What does this mean? Because every scripture has one meaning. Then you go through a process, what's the context? Who's talking? Where were, what was going on in the world when they were talking? How did the original hearers of this understand this? Those are the first kind of questions you want to ask when studying any passage of the Bible. And then you finally land, okay, how does this apply to me today? And so we're kind of going to go through that. So we're going to start here. Uh, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7 and narrate some history after that as we uh, read the Word of God. So if you could please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word as I try to dig my glasses out so I can see. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, 
Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed these vessels in the treasury of, of his God. And then the king commanded Asphanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Stop there and let's pray. Father, thank you for just your sovereign grace. God, your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, how you are true to your word. And God, you've given us many promises, promises of salvation, promises of hope, promises of everlasting life, promises of forgiveness. And God, because of your trustworthiness and your faithfulness, we can truly believe and trust your word. God, I just pray as we begin this, this journey together of going through this ancient book that you have preserved through time called Daniel, God, I pray that you would just speak to our own hearts, speak to our own lives. God, encourage us, challenge us, in some instances rebuke us so that we may continue to go against the grain of our culture and live a life that honors you. Because you deserve it. You are so worthy to be honored, to be loved, to be worshiped, to be obeyed. And so, God, I just pray you use this, not only today, but these next 12 weeks in our, in our lives in a very powerful, transformational way. So we commend it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. So here's kind of what was going on historically. The years of 606 B.C., that's 606 years before Christ. There's some things going on in the world, you know, at that time. Uh, this is a right around the time that uh, Siddhartha Gautama uh, was traveling around India. He later became known as the Buddha, right? So this is roughly around the same time as him. Roughly around the same time as this, this gentleman in China named Confucius was writing down what he thought was some wise sayings. So it's a pretty interesting historical time. It was the rise of, of philosophy. Um, Socrates came shortly after this. He was the first true great Greek philosopher. So there's a lot of, lot of things going on in the world. But what was going on specifically in the biblical area of, of Israel was that God's people had really struggled to honor God. They had been pretty rebellious over the last few generations. In fact, we read about um, this King Hezekiah, who was a very godly king, who you know, led some great reforms. But his son Manasseh threw it all away and was a very wicked king. And so God's people started worshiping other gods. They forgot about God. They neglected God. In fact, things had gotten bad right after King Solomon, right then at about 933 B.C., the kingdom of God, Israel, split into two countries. You had the northern kingdom, which kept the name Israel, 10 of the 12 tribes. The southern kingdom took the name Judah after the predominant tribe that went with them, and that was the line of David. So all the kings that would, were the descendants of David would rule over Judah. The northern kingdom had zero godly kings. 
So from 933 BC to 722 BC, not a single king honored God. Therefore, the entire nation of Israel didn't honor God. They worshiped false gods like Baal or Molech or these other foreign gods, little g, that really weren't gods at all. I mean, a few weeks ago, we talked about false god is really no god, right? Because it's, it's not there. It's not real. And so God brought up discipline to them. So this country called Assyria, which capital was Nineveh, that's where Jonah went to speak, right? Assyria conquered Israel in 722 BC and scattered them. And there would not be a nation of Israel again until 1948 AD. But the southern kingdom continued because they had a few godly kings. They had about eight kings that did honor God. In fact, in the late 600s, so right before the time of Daniel, Judah had their very last godly king. And that was a king named Josiah, who became king at the age of eight. And so he had reigned um, pretty, pretty well. In fact, we look at this scripture here. Um, 2 Chronicles chapter 34 says Josiah was eight years old when he, began, when he began to reign. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, so he's 16 years old. I've got a son who's 16 years old. When he was 16 he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of all the high places. That's where they went to worship, the false gods, the ashram and the carved and the metal images. So Josiah led Judah, this brief season of revival, this brief season when they turned back to God. And what happens, if you read the whole story, there was this priest named Hilkiah, and he was going into the temple, just cleaning it out. They just, they just started using it for storage. And, and you all have a room like that in your house. You just throw junk in there, and you shut the door, and just don't even go in. Yeah, except when you're putting more junk in there. Well, that's the way the temple had become in Jerusalem. Well, Hilkiah, the priest, he goes in there, he starts cleaning out, and he finds the scrolls. He finds the Word of God. They haven't read the Word of God in several generations Hilkiah begins to read the word of God and he's, he's moved and he's, he's brought to tears and God, we have sinned. We haven't been following you. We haven't been doing these things. We have not honored you. And so he takes it and he goes and shows to Josiah and Josiah is moved. He goes, Lord, we, we have sinned against you. We have not followed you. We have abandoned you. And so he calls for these reforms nationwide and, he, and they do them. There's this brief time of revival. And it's off of those hills that Daniel is growing up. So Daniel knows he's familiar with the Lord. And so he learns about the Lord. So do, his, so do his friends who became known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They learn about the Lord from their parents and from what's going on in their nation under King Josiah. But Josiah dies and his son Jehoiakim is not the king that his dad was. And so the nation of Judah is left in this predicament. We can either keep following the Lord or we can succumb to this new culture that's coming over us, which is Babylon. Because Judah had been disobedient prior to Josiah, God was going to judge them too. So the Babylonians were going to come in, and they were going to take over Jerusalem. 
We see a lot of talk about this. Jeremiah 25, verse 3 says, For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. So Judah became hard-headed again and started to fall away from God. Jeremiah, the prophet, goes on. So God says, declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, blow the trumpet through the land, cry aloud and say, assemble. Let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard toward Zion. Flee for safety. Stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. God told him, look, it's coming. Babylon is coming. And then he gets specific, a lion. A lion has gone up from this thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitants. And then later on, in chapter 29, Jeremiah prophesies, Behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north. The north is where Babylon was during his days. And here he names him by name. And for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. So God raises up this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, who's a ruthless, powerful leader. And he didn't love God. God calls him my servant. He didn't even believe in God at this point in time, which shows how sovereign God is. God can use even those that don't believe in him for God's purposes. That's a pretty amazing God, amen? Pretty incredible. So God is bringing this all on the people of Judah because they refused to repent and follow God. And here's how much God loves his people. He's gonna go to whatever end he must go to move us to love him and follow him because that's best for us and it glorifies him. So, as we begin this, this series, what we're going to see a lot of times is really what Jesus teaches has come to light. Matthew seven thirteen, where Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter by it. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, leads to life, and those who find it are few. Just like in Daniel's day and our day, it is so easy just to follow the ways of our culture, right? It's easy. It's easy to get into all the latest fads and crazes and and worldviews and just to say, you know, well, okay, if, if, hey, if that's what you want to go do with your life, that's great. You go right ahead. That's easy to do. What's hard to do say, you know, I love you. Because I love you, you need to know what God says about that. It's not okay. It's easy to succumb, as we're going to see. There's a lot of pressure that's put on Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It would be easy for them just to succumb to the Babylonian ways. It's really hard for them to stay true to the Lord. Same is true for us in our increasingly hostile culture in which we live. So let's Let's begin to unpack some of these things as we look, um, you know, principle number one is there in your notes, honoring the Lord is always the best path. It's always the best path. Let's, let's look here at number one. And that's honoring the Lord begins in our heart. 
If you read on down in the book of Daniel, if you've got your Bible still open there, verse 8, it says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. He says, he determined this in his heart, in his heart. So let's talk about this. First, honoring the Lord begins in your heart. It means knowing who you are, knowing who you are. It's kind of interesting. So we, we read here in, in, verse, in the last few verses we read out loud, five through seven, and that the chief eunuch changes their names, right? He changes Daniel's name. He changes Hananiah's name and Mishael's name and Azariah's name. And there's, there's a lot that goes into that, right? Who we are is a big question. Who are you? Who am I? We've talked about this here before. Who am I I is one of the deepest questions we could be asked. How do you you identify yourself? Well, according to John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, to all who did receive him, meaning Christ, who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Being a child of God is is the most real, the truest definition of who you and I are. Amen? Transcends everything else. But these names had meaning. So this guy tries to change Daniel's name. Daniel means God is my judge to Belteshazzar. Bel, false God, protect the king. So this guy was trying to say, Daniel, you're here because of Bel to protect the king. Changing his purpose, changing his role. Trying to even change his identity. Hananiah, which means the Lord is gracious. Change his name to Shadrach, which means the command of Aku. Aku is one of the Babylonian gods, little g. So tried to change his identity, his function, his purpose. We go to Mishael. Mishael means who is like the Lord. And the answer to that, the answer to his name is no one, right? Tried to change his name to Meshach, which who is what Aku is. It was a battle of gods. The one true God, who's like him? No one. To the second question, his new name, Meshach, means who is like Aku, Changing his faith. From Azariah, the Lord is my helper, to Abednego, the servant of Nego, which is another one of the Babylonians' gods, changing his role, changing identity. So see here just a powerful truth that any cultural demand or any culture dominated by a godless worldview will always seek for you to define yourself apart from God. That is so true in our culture today, isn't it? Look at all the identity issues that are going on in our culture today. Who are you? Well, I'm trying to decide if I'm really supposed to be a boy or if I'm supposed to be a girl. You know, who are you? Well, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be heterosexual or homosexual or bisexual. Who are you? Well, I don't know. We live in probably one of the most confusing times in the history of mankind for identity. And it is one of the most important questions we answer. Who am I? Who are you? See, the culture wants to give you this myth that your identity is in your sexuality or that your identity is in your gender. Let me just say, those are much more shallow than the depth of you're a child of God. Shallow. Don't define yourself by such shallow questions and shallow answers. 
when culture tries to make you question who you are, remember that the God of the universe has already declared who you are. It's kind of like, you know, I got this new lawnmower. It's time to cut grass, right? So we got this new lawnmower about this time last year and tried one of those electric ones. Anybody got an electric lawnmower? Yeah, so it's, it's kind of different, you know? So got this electric lawnmower, came in this box. Now let's just say that this lawnmower, you know, it didn't have any instructions with it. And it decides this lawnmower gets a mind of its own and says, you know, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna identify that I'm an automobile. How's that gonna work? No matter how much this lawnmower thinks it's an automobile, it's not going to be able to carry passengers. It's not going to be able to travel great distances. You know, it's going to be a really lousy automobile. But if you look at the instructions, the person who made it, the company that made it, has already declared what it is and has already equipped it with what it needs to be good at what it is. So do you ask the created what it is or do you ask the creator what it is? You ask the product what it is, or do you ask the manufacturer what it is and what they intended and designed and ordained for it to be? It is only rational for us not to look at answers for who I am within me, because who am I to answer that kind of question? Let me go to the person, the one who made me, and ask him, who did you make me to be? Who am I? Ask the maker and he will tell you lovingly. We see this this is from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We see Genesis chapter one. God said in verse 26, 27, let us make man in our image, in the image of God, male and female. So we are made in the likeness, the image of God. That's huge. Goes on, the psalmist says, and King David writes in the Psalms, he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together in the inmost parts of my mother's womb. Jeremiah, the prophet, God says, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you and set you apart. We need to look for the answers of who am I from the one who's made us, from our creator, from God himself. Your creator has declared that you are an amazing man. You're an amazing woman creating the image of Christ. And no matter how much you try to change that identity or identify as something or someone else, you are who God created and declared you to be. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a child of God and there is nothing greater. So commitment number one from us is no matter How I feel about me or others, I will not dishonor the Lord or his word. Here's Daniel and his friends. The Babylonian culture, this this Asphanaz, this chief eunuch, this serious leader in the Babylonian empire, tried to declare them as someone and something else. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they continued to honor the Lord in spite of what was trying to be thrust upon them, as we will see. Secondly, not only know who you are, know whose you are. Remember, July 1st, 1990, that moment that my parents had driven me to the military academy, and we'd all gather in the big football stadium, and there was a guest speaker to welcome these new cadets, and then that moment comes where they say, all right, new cadets, 
Turn to your moms and dads, grandparents, family members, and tell them goodbye. And then come on down. You've got one minute. <laughs> so it was hugs and one of the few times I saw my dad shed a tear. The last thing my mom says, I'm turning around, getting ready to walk down those stairs to the middle of the football field to be thrown on a bus and thrown into absolute chaos. My mom said, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Who you are and whose you are. Just two questions, powerful questions. Whose am I? Know whose you are. Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, they never forgot who they belonged to. And neither are we. So many scriptures about this. First Corinthians chapter six. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The context here is sexual purity. That's the context. Honor the Lord with your body. Honor God sexually, which means maintain yourself only for marriage. That's the only sexual expression that honors the Lord. Every other sexual expression is a perversion, a twist that comes from the enemy to not glorify God. The Holy Spirit, for a believer, the Holy Spirit is within our body. So Paul goes on and says that. I don't have the notes here but or the, the scriptures, but Paul goes on and talks about that, how every other sin is outside the body, but sexual sin is within the body where the Holy Spirit dwells. So honor him. That's counterculture. That's against the grain of our culture, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're on the, the, the last side of the sexual revolution, which has started this freedom of sexuality all over the place. That's not the message of our culture is sex and marriage only. And it's not, to meant, it's not meant to be, you know, mean and ruthless. That's what honors the Lord. And that's what brings us the greatest joy and satisfaction in marriage. God knows what he's doing. First Peter chapter one, verse 18. Peter says, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. When you know whose you are, it affects how you live. I love this passage. This passage is, is so powerful. Um, right here it says we're ransomed. Ransomed from what? What are we bought from? What are we set free from? Through the power of blood of Christ, we are set free from our futile ways. That's conduct. That's how we live our life. So when we know whose we are, it changes how we live our life. And you know, the blood of Christ is powerful, amen? The blood of Christ works. The blood of Christ is gonna accomplish the purpose of saving us. But here, it attributes to the blood of Christ, not just saving us, forgiving us, giving us everlasting life, but here it says the power of the blood of Christ is also to change us, to ransom us from our futile ways. That phrase, futile ways, ways is conduct. It's how we live our life. And so if we're not seeing any change in our conduct, that should bring a big flag up in our mind. Maybe, just maybe, I'm really not a follower of Jesus yet. Because to be bought with the blood of Christ includes transformation that happens. This ransoming from the futility of our ways. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, says, you were bought 
with a price. So don't become slaves of men, mankind. Don't become a servant of other people's passions or your own passions, but serve Jesus, follow Jesus. He paid dearly for us through his precious blood. He goes on and says, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Ooh, identity. As God created you, so remain in that. That's huge. Right? Countercultural against the grain. So Daniel and his friends, they're, they're, they're met with this issue. It says here that they were going to be fed from the king's table. The finest foods, choicest wines, rich foods. Foods that actually go against the word of God because God had given them specific dietary laws in the Old Testament. Well, commitment number two is no matter where culture is going, I will not dishonor the Lord or his word. Instead, Matthew 6, 33, a great memory verse. If you've not memorized this verse, this is a great one. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness of our culture, but honor the Lord. Number two, honoring the Lord often results in unexpected favor. Addition, then the youths who are of your own age, so you would endanger my head with the king. Notice this. The two fears here. This eunuch fears because we see God is gracious and kind and loving, and all that is true. But we cannot lose the attribute of God that he is also filled with wrath and indignation towards sin. We don't mess with God because God is not to be messed with. You did something wrong and you did not want them to find out. Anybody remember those days? I, I, I know, it was, it was many times probably. I can see you being honorary in school. Yeah, I mean, I remember one, second grade, you know, I just kept talking, da-da-da-da-da, you know, I was a talker, it's shocking. Became a freak. I was going to call my mom and it was going to happen all over again when I got home. My mom was, my mom and dad, I didn't, there was a fear there, not a fear of being abused, they never abused driving our lives off of a cliff. Is that kind of healthy fear? Hebrews 12 is clear that the Lord disciplines those he loves. Culture is telling him to do. He's going to find favor. He goes on. Verse 11, Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mish, vegetables, make you lose weight. Because it didn't Daniel, I'm just kidding. Anyway, and tested him for 10 days. At the end of the days, it was seen that they were better in appearance, fatter in flesh, and all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were drank and gave them vegetables. So honoring the Lord will be tested. We see forward in faith. All of a sudden, it seems like things just don't go well. Things get hard. Anybody ever experienced that before, right? Made this new commitment to the Lord, you know. For, for Tara and I, we, 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 in 1999, we got out of the army. We moved to, to Tennessee. We started to plant the church, and it just got hard. You know, everything got hard. Marriage got hard, you know. Just building the church was hard. Everything was hard. Like, Lord, Lord, didn't you call us to this? Whenever we take a step of faith, 
Sometimes that faith is going to be tested. We see that with, with Abraham. Finally, after all those years of trusting God, they finally had Isaac, the son of promise. You get to Genesis 22, and God says, okay, take this son of promise, Isaac, and go sacrifice him. Faith is tested. Now, God didn't let Abraham follow through with that, for those of you that haven't read that story. It was just a test of faith. So our faith will be tested. Letter B is our faith will be grown. Don't you know that on the back end of this, when Daniel and his three friends kind of pass out, with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Notice, it's their real names. It's their identity in God names. They're in all his kingdom. Their faith grew. God honored them. We see in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect so you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. To see, God is always faithful. Always faithful. God gives them. He honors, when they honor the Lord, God honors them. Gave them all these skills, gave them all these abilities, these giftedness. Daniel, to understand dreams, God is faithful. God is faithful for us today. When you honor him, he honors you. Except that which is common to man, mankind, right? That God is what? Just say it with me. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Isn't that great news? That God is with you so much every moment of every day that when you come to those moments of temptation, he's right there with you. He's, he's kind of a, he's a buffer. He's a protector. He's not going to let you be tempted more than you're able to handle, more than you're able to withstand. That's faithfulness. And then even in the temptation, it goes on and says, he will provide the way of escape so you may be able to endure it or walk through it. That's a faithful God. He's always faithful. So commitment number three is when tempted, I will seek God's way of escape. I'm sure Daniel and the boys were tempted when they first saw this food. Do I make a stink about this? I mean, if I defy this chief eunuch Asphanaz, then maybe he'll kill us or maybe he'll kick us out. There are all these risks that could have been involved but God was faithful. He gave them the ability to walk through this and even reward point. Number four, honoring the Lord leads to strategic placement. Strategic placement. Verse 19, the king spoke with them and among them, all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They stood before the king. They had prominent position. God equips you to thrive, letter A. He equips you to thrive. You honor him, you're going to thrive where he got you. So don't complain about where you're at in life, right? I mean, the job you have, the neighborhood you live in, we can be quick to complain, don't we? We are master complainers. 
I think it's getting, we're getting even better at it with new generations, right? I mean, Twitter is nothing but a big complaining platform, right? Complain about this, what she said, he said, right? A lot of complaints. God places us. When we honor him, he's going to place us in strategic positions and then equip us in those positions to thrive. 2 Peter 1.3 reminds us that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. B, God's going to give you opportunities to honor him. Now, that's a double-edged sword. That's also an opportunity to dishonor him. But we have those opportunities to honor him. As we're going to see, Daniel stands before kings. It says he's there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's of, a diff- of an entire different nation. So Daniel is going to outlast the Babylonian kingdom in his tenure, in his position that God places him in. Daniel's going to counsel kings after kings. And he's going to be the, the chief of all of the wise men in Babylon and later Persia. God continues to give him those opportunities that we'll see. And Daniel continues to honor him. A young lady named Esther saw this for herself, and she receives this advice from her uncle Mordecai. says, Esther 4.14, if you keep silent this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai recognized she was strategically placed by God. And let her see. When you honor the Lord, going against the grain, he gives you blessings so you can be a blessing to others. Because of Daniel's position, he was able to help ease the persecution on God's people many, many times. When we honor God, God puts us into positions to honor him more and to bless his people. So commitment number four is I will seek to leverage my position and to honor God. So where are you at? What positions do you have? Some of your parents. Honor God in that position as a parent. At your workplace. You know, what if you start looking at your workplace? Hey, God has me here for a purpose. It's not just to make some money. It's not just to kind of do what I like to do, or it's not just to do what I hate to do. I mean, some of you may not like your jobs, but what if you started looking at your workplaces? This is where God has planted you. What about your neighborhoods? Where do you live? I hate this old house. Can't wait to get another house. So, okay, what is God doing in my neighborhood? Now I'm going to be a part of that. Maybe you're a teacher in public schools and you're like, this is getting harder and harder. And it is. God has you there. Maybe you're a homeschooler. Why has God got you where he's got you? Keep plugging away. Thrive where he's planted you. Until he moves you and tells you to do something different. Thrive where God's planted you. Seek to leverage the position God grants you to honor him. Be a blessing to others. But it kind of goes back to what we talked about, the very first thing. That first point that Daniel resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself. He had already made that commitment to God. Have you truly, in your heart, resolved that no matter what comes your way, no matter what you're wrestling with, 
Maybe you're wrestling with sexual temptation. Maybe, maybe some of you are wrestling with identity questions and issues. Maybe some of you find yourself in a kind of a negative outlook on things right now in your own life, your own career, your own home life. Maybe it's even your own marriage. What if right here today you resolved in your heart, no matter what's coming, I'm going to honor the Lord first and foremost because I belong to him. Are you a child of God? Is that the answer to your who am I question? If not, what a great moment. We're going to have here in just a moment to do that, to confess Christ as Lord and to become a follower of Jesus from here and through all of eternity, forever to have that question settled. Who are you? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the creator of the universe. And whose are you? You don't belong just to your parents. You don't belong to your company. You don't belong to your spouse. You belong to God, to Jesus Christ who bought you with his blood. That's how much he loves you. Who are you? Whose are you? Let's all stand and let's go and pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have paid such a dear cost so that we might have life in you. Jesus, you hung on that cross and you bled for our sins to forgive us. But not only that, but as we read today, to also change us. Lord, you give us your Holy Spirit to live within us, to change us. You ransom us for the futility of our conduct, of our past. I just pray this morning, Lord, very simply that that all of us here and those watching online would just really seek the answers to those two questions. Who am I? Lord, if there's anyone here watching that cannot say that they're a child of yours because they have not trusted in you and you alone, they have not surrendered their life to you, then God, I pray that you would help them answer that question this morning, that they would put their trust and faith completely in you. The trust for salvation, the trust for forgiveness, the trust to change them, the trust to to live a life that follows you, that goes against the grain of culture. God, save today. And then God also, the second question, whose am I? God, as believers, we often forget that answer. We start living life for ourselves. We start living life according to our own agenda, our own plans. We live our lives to please someone else over and above you. So God, just bring us back to center this morning. Let there be repentance, there to be renewed commitments to follow you first and foremost. To I belong to you, Jesus. And that's all that matters. So God, minister to our hearts this morning. This is all for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.